Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Western Medicine Fails One of Its Own, an interview with Dr. Bill Rawls. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Bill Rawls. He's a graduate from the Bauman Grace School of Medicine at Wake Forest University and holds a medical license in the state of North Carolina. Dr. Rawls is also an author of two books, Suffered Long Enough and Unlocking Lyme. He also regularly contributes to various internet platforms and health-related sites. Now today, Matt, we're actually going to take a different approach than we've taken with any of our previous podcasts. We're going to give our listeners a behind-the-scenes look at this Dr. Rawls interview. And we're doing this for two reasons. The first reason we're doing this is Dr. Rawls is a superhero in the Lyme and Tick community. Dr. Rawls has written uh, probably the lead book on alternative approaches to uh, dealing with chronic Lyme disease. And he is just a very generous and giving man. The second reason we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at this um, at this podcast with our listeners is because Dr. Rawls was really generous with his time. He offered our listeners over three hours of his time when we conducted the interview. And we didn't want to give our listeners uh, three hours of very powerful information in one, um, in one podcast. We thought we should break it up into bite-sized morsels so that it would be easier to digest. So we're going to give our listeners about 20 minutes of the three hours during this first podcast, and then we're going to break up the audio into additional podcasts for future use. So Matt, I, uh, I was really moved by uh, this first portion of the interview that we did with Dr. Rawls because I was, I was uh, expecting that a doctor of Dr. Rawls' qualifications, and I was expecting a doctor who was the fourth generation doctor in his family, you know, the insider's insider, to have uh, a, a better result when he needed to access the very system his great-grandfather, grandfather, father, and he had been a part of. I expected a doctor who graduated from one of the top medical schools in the country, when he accessed the system, he would have gotten a better result. But as it turns out, what Dr. Rawls shared with us is that the medical system failed him, the insider's insider, as badly as it has failed you, and it has failed most of the folks who we've interviewed in the past. I was surprised to hear that he couldn't get a diagnosis. I was surprised to hear that when he did get a diagnosis, he wasn't diagnosed uh, with an illness, but he was diagnosed with a disorder. I was surprised to hear that his partners essentially fired him from the medical practice when he was too sick um, to um, perform at the level that he had performed at before he, was, um, before he got sick. And I was surprised that the medical community couldn't help him with a diagnosis so that he could apply for disability benefits when he needed that type of assistance the most when his child, his son, was in, in college. So, Matt, I'm just uh, wondering how you feel about how Dr. Rawls was treated by the very community that he had been trained in and he had been raised in and how that makes you feel about your experience with the failures of the medical community in diagnosing and treating your chronic Lyme disease. Rich, I think it's very disturbing. The fact that a fourth-generation doctor like Dr. Rawls, with all of the resources and connections at his fingertips, took so long to get a proper Lyme diagnosis. So it puts it into perspective that the average Joe like you or I 
to take months, if not years, if not decades, like some of the people we've spoken to on our podcast, to get diagnosed with Lyme disease. So, again, you know, if, if Dr. Rolls took that long to get diagnosed and sort of ousted from his, his profession and couldn't get the assistance he needs, then it's, it's, it's very, very difficult for somebody who's not a medical professional like, like us to get the proper diagnosis and recognition of Lyme disease. So it's very, very disturbing. So thanks, Matt, for giving us your insight. And I think it's now time to roll the audio of Dr. Bill Rawls's origin story. And we'll start the Western Medicine Fails, one of its own, an interview with Dr. Bill Rawls' podcast. Dr. Rawls, thank you again for joining us on our podcast. We're going to jump right in and start asking you some questions about your life early on. Dr. Rawls, can you describe your educational background for us, please? Uh, certainly, yeah, and, and thanks for, for having me on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. Um, education. Um, I uh, have a college background, um, actually got a degree in accounting and economics, of all things. Uh, decided that nobody was going to give me a million dollars to invest. Took the uh, more secure route, went back and got a chemistry degree and went on to medical school. Um, through medical school, it, medical school was interesting. Um, you know, you're, you're exposed to all the drugs and all of the things, and so many of the parts of medical school just weren't very logical to me. Uh, a lot of the medication use I thought was harsh. So I ended up going into obstetrics and gynecology because it was mostly acute intervention. Patients got well, delivering babies. It was deliver, you know, it was it was it was all about wellness. And so from the beginning, that's that's what attracted me to the field of medicine. I'm actually Great. fourth generation doing this, and uh, you know I have I have. Uh, great-grandfather that dates back to the 1800s that used to make house calls and deliver babies. But, um, but it's, it's a rigorous life. Um, my great-grandfather and grandfather both died early. Um, uh, that uh, My great-grandfather died at age 53 of what I think was a microbial illness of the heart. So these things go way back. Um, a lot of people did. And they weren't recognized as being microbial at that time. So, um, yeah, so it's really interesting to look back on some of these things. But it's, uh, it's rigorous life, you know. I was taking call every second to third night, and I was on one of those people that, you know, if somebody was on my watch, if I had somebody in labor or in the emergency room or whatever, I, would, I didn't sleep, you know. I gave them my full attention. So after about 15 years of that, I crashed um, pretty bad. And so it's... Uh, so Dr. Yeah. Rolls, we, uh, you know, jumping back to, you know, your, your, your education there, what was your life like after you graduated medical school? Did you get married? Did you have children? Can you describe for us a little bit about your life after medical school? Your personal life? Oh, yeah, life? sure. Uh, of course. I uh, got married first year in medical school. Um, my wife was a biology graduate and went into teaching, and she still is an instructor at a community college um, here. Uh, and we, so she taught for several years, and then when I was in residency, four years of medical school, four years of residency, um, my 
first year in residency, we had our first daughter, and then two years later, I had my son. And uh, so it was a pretty busy time, no doubt about it. And in the middle of all that busy stuff, we uh, renovated ourselves an, an old farmhouse out in the country. Wow. So, so after all, during this time, are you active in any professional organizations, community organizations, or religious organizations? Um, professional organizations of a variety of types. Probably the biggest one was um, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, which is the organization that um, is, is uh, where all the education comes from for OBGYN physicians. That's a really good organization. Um, what was I? I've been in members of various things over the years. Um, later in career, integrative medicine um, organizations. I uh, was later uh, certified in holistic medicine. So a variety of things. So Dr. Rawls, you indicated a little bit earlier that after about 15 years, you crashed. Could you tell us a little bit about the condition that caused you to crash? What, how you felt? Uh, you know, what, what, what caused the crash? Yeah, it's um, everybody that I, all my patients that I've talked to over the years that have struggled with this thing we call chronic Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, all of these type of illnesses can can relate, generally relate a perfect storm of factors that came together. And that's where they started their illness. Um, sometimes it comes after a tick bite, but most of the time there's some kind of stress. So I grew up playing in the woods. Tick bites were part of my life. And it's, uh, so there's no doubt that I had tick-borne microbes in my system. Um, but as long as my immune system was strong, it was fine. Taking a call every other night and just the stress of trying to balance that with family, community responsibilities, volunteer time, um, everything else, the thing that, that uh, I didn't do was sleep. So even when I wasn't on call, I wasn't getting good sleep, and I was just pushing the stress button as hard as you could, um, along with eating on the run, not eating high-quality food, and um, my only salvation was that I exercised a lot. But, uh, but I, was, I was really pushing those stress buttons hard. And um, it, it was gradual onset, but we, I had an event. This was when I was about 47. Um, I had an event where we had grown the practice to a five-man practice to spread out the call. And I uh, was, and there was a snafu in the schedule that I ended up with me being on call for, either, for every other night for two weeks in a row. And it just happened that I got hit hard on every night. And then I just lost the ability to sleep. I couldn't sleep on the nights that I wasn't on call. And I just crashed after that. Um, and it was, and things just got worse and worse. Um, but... Uh, I didn't have a diagnosis, you know. Um, I'd done the screening test for Lyme. It was negative. So it was like, this isn't Lyme disease. So what the heck is it? So I chose the diagnosis that a lot of people end up with, 
you know, had more pain than I did fatigue. So I guess fibromyalgia is going to be the thing, you know. So how did, how did your life change after the crash and after the uh, diagnosis of the disorder of fibromyalgia? Yeah. Well, I had a sit-down meeting with my partners, and I said, I just can't take call anymore. Um, you know, I just I really need a break from things. But I didn't really have a diagnosis, per se, at that point. So I really couldn't, you know, I'd been to doctors, I'd had all the lab tests, everything. Um, and nothing was really significantly positive. So I was in that limbo land, uh, that zone of not really having a diagnosis um, and having a hard time moving forward. So they agreed that I could work without taking call. But after a year, they said, you know, and I wasn't any better at that time. Um, after a year, they said, you know, if you, if you can't take call, you have to leave the practice. So there I was, out of a job. Were you aware of how sick ticks can make you and, and all the various diseases they can give you at that point and, and really how debilitating they can cause, you know, cause you to be? I don't think anybody was aware. I, I don't think I was aware of what Lyme disease really is, and I don't think most people understand Lyme disease like I do now. So my definition of Lyme disease is probably very different than most people you will talk to. But it's a very deeply researched understanding of this thing. Was there anything you had done prior to your diagnosis with Lyme disease in the tick protection and uh, Lyme prevention arena? No, I didn't protect myself from ticks when I was a kid. <laughs> Nobody knew about Lyme disease when I was a kid. So we were out there. We were building forts in the woods, and, yeah, we lived in the woods. Wow. So, so as I did most of my life. Yeah, so you probably had multiple tick bites throughout your life, right, and just kind of moved on and, and life went on, right? Absolutely. There could have been a bullseye rash, and and I was not aware of it. So, yeah. So, so you weren't aware of a tick that actually bit you and caused your Lyme disease? No, and what I've found over the years is that about 90% of the people that define themselves as having chronic, chronic Lyme disease are exactly the same way. Yeah. So once once you discovered that you did have Lyme disease, what uh, medical inter- intervention did you seek after that? Well, I went for a couple of years that I didn't, and I didn't really have a choice as far as I practice. So I, you know, the only option that I could figure out was actually starting a practice by myself that I could control my situation, and so. I started a practice that was gynecology slash um, primary care. And and I had this just idea that I was going to figure things out. And I was going to help people as I figured things out. So I started asking different questions and started affecting people differently. Um, you know, and it's... Um, and this is a big thing. When you look at our medical establishment, how we ask questions is very important. And 
it really is the difference between asking how someone is ill versus why someone is ill. And, um, and I'll get back to that thought. But, um, but so, yeah, so I, I had this diagnosis, quasi-diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Really, it's very hard to get disability with that. I started a medical practice, um, and I started applying principles of wellness. I was dabbling with herbal therapy. I was actually getting a lot better. Um, I was. My health was was gradually improving, though I was still under a lot of stress trying to manage a new practice. Um, but, you know, about the time I was starting to get better, I was working out in in our our yard. We had this big area where I was clearing brush. And I can remember it. It was one July. I was feeling pretty darn good compared to how I'd been feeling. It was about a year or so out. And... Uh, and all of the week, I just kept having this weird rash going and just itching all over my body. And at the end of the week, I'll never forget it, I thought I had this chigger bite on my right buttocks, and I kept scratching it, and I picked off a scab, and be darned, it was a nymph tick. And uh, that turned into a bullseye rash and later got the a positive Lyme test. Um, but I think, I, you know, and, and all the symptoms that I'd been having for years just came back in spades. So that's when I started getting serious about it being Lyme disease and felt like I'd had Lyme all along. Yes, I tried antibiotics of various kinds. Um, but I became ill from the antibiotics within two or three weeks of taking them and had to abandon them completely. And it was about that time that I read Stephen Booner's first book and thought, you know, herbs make sense. Um, when you look at all the options, you look at all the crazy stuff that people do for Lyme disease, I, you know, logically, I, I, you know, I, was, I had this practice, I was financially constrained, you know, I still had a mortgage on a house. I had a kid in college, all these things, and, and it was tight. You know, it's hard to make a living in a small primary care practice, I promise. It's really hard. Um, and I couldn't fly all over the country seeing Lyme doctors or make these big investments in IV antibiotics and all this kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I, I looked at all the options. I read everything about Lyme disease I could possibly read. Um, at that time, and I happened to read Stephen Booner's first book. This was around 2005. And, um, and you know, herbal therapy, it was kind of like, okay, possibly this could work. You know, there, there were lots of accounts on the Internet of herbal therapy being efficacious. The risk was really low. And it fit my budget. It was very cost-effective. And, and when you still look at all the options for Lyme disease, that's the one, you know? Everything else either costs more, has a high potential for harm, or really doesn't have a shred of evidence suggesting that it might be effective. So that put herbal therapy right at the top of my list. I embraced the herbs. I took 
handfuls of capsules <laughs> two or three times a day. And I broke through and started getting well. And it was like, aha, this is something. And from then on, I really developed a passion for herbal therapy. And really from there came to understand Lyme disease very differently. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Tick Boot Camp interview with Dr. Bill Rawls. We will release several additional episodes of this podcast that will include other parts of our three-hour interview with Dr. Rawls. To our listeners, as always, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Dr. Rawls, please visit his website at RawlsMD.com or his Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at BillRawlsMD at RawlsMD or visit his YouTube channel at RawlsMD at YouTube.com. Second, if you enjoyed this first episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast interview with Dr. Rawls, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify to get the automatic episode updates for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and ratings on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify. This is a new effort on our part, and we can really use your help. We'd really like to create a podcast that you'd like to listen to, and by giving us input, you're giving us the ability to improve on what we've begun to build. We make it a point to read every single one of your reviews, and we would appreciate you participating. Thank you for listening.